Well, we're in our fourth week of this Gospel Roots series. We're studying um, and have been studying. It's, it's a study of our core values and vision. We're building a biblical perspective of, of why we value what we value. And then we're asking, do we really value them? Or do we just say that we value these things? Do we really value the gospel? Or do we just say we value the gospel? Do we really value truth and love? Or do we just say we do? So do we prioritize these things in our lives in such a way that we value them literally and not just theoretically? It's important that if we're going to say we value it, that, that it be for real, not just, not just for show. Now this week we're studying the value, uh, the, the core value of community. And our passage is going to be in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there if you will. Well, while you are, let me just let me just share something with you. This week, a, a guy came in off the street and was asking if we had any food. We didn't have anything other than condiments like relish and mustard in the fridge, and I didn't think he'd be interested in eating that. So, so I, I, you know, I didn't have any money with me. And typically, when somebody comes off the off the street, I try to help if I can, but it doesn't always happen. But I shared with him about some food pantries downtown, and then I told him about Victory Mission's meal that they provide every day. And he told me that he wouldn't go to Victory Mission because they would expect him to sit through the chapel, and he didn't need that. He told me that he had all the knowledge of the Bible that he needed, and God was revealing truth to him all the time. And he also said that he never went to church because he didn't need it. But then he proceeded to tell me what he believed. And let me tell you something. It was far different than any truth that Scripture demonstrates to us. He, He was using verses but then redefining words to fit his own view and then telling me that God had shown him these things. In fact, there was one point, and this doesn't have to do with the Bible passage. I can't remember the, such a crazy set of views. I, I don't even really remember them. But there was one point where he tells me about how God had shown him the, this thing in the stars. And he stands and, and, and talks to me about the sky. And he points at the sky and he points at one place in the sky. And he says, okay, there's going to be a star here. And he points at another place in the sky and he says, all right, and there's going to be another star here. And then right down the middle between these two stars, there's going to be three stars. He said, I want you to go out. And I want you to see that tonight. And God will show it to you. He said, it's going to be real. He said, but that's called a stargate. He said, that Stargate, God showed me, God told me, he, he, he showed me that that's how he enters our realm without being noticed, that he comes through that Stargate. And I, where does he, where, where does that, where, where do we have any indication of that? But it wasn't, it wasn't just stuff outside the Bible. The guy was, he was, he was using verse after verse after verse and quoting chapter and verse with, and, 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 and then redefining the terms. What I realized as this guy was talking was that he knew the Bible and knew what it said, but he didn't know what the Bible meant. See, he had no one in his life, no one he would allow to come close to him, no one that could, could speak into his life and, and, and stand around him and help him see the truth of Scripture. He had no one. And anytime anything, anyone offered anything, he would push them away. He didn't need the church, he said. He had no one in his life to help him understand the Bible. He had this outlandish interpretation of biblical teaching, but he didn't need anyone, he said. And when I challenged him with that, he he said, hey, I got God, I don't need the church. See, he's elevated this idea of God without God's people. And the truth is that he's not alone in this sentiment. Not only is this idea for those who who are all the way out in left field, 
Uh, the world around us is always saying things that demonstrate that they're okay with the idea of God or Jesus even, but they don't want his people. And maybe you've heard it said, I'm sure you've heard it said, I love or respect, I, I, I love or I respect Jesus, but I don't care for his people. That's a pretty common thing that's said today. The problem is, is that doesn't just happen out in the world. See, it happens in the church as well. We're a little more passive-aggressive about it, a little less confrontational about it. You hear it less in the words that people say and more in their actions. There are, but, but there are a large number of people sitting in churches today across Springfield, across Missouri, across the United States, across the world. There's a large number of people who are going to gather in churches. They're going to show up. And they're going to tell you, I appreciate the church. But then... They're not going to spend any time. They're not going to expend any effort. And they're not going to use any of their financial resources to love or serve the people of the church. Truth is, there may be one or two of you here this morning. And see, I, what, I think, what I think when people say this, when, when, when people come and they gather in the church and they say, I appreciate the church, I love the church, but then they won't do anything to love the church I think what these people mean, they mean they appreciate the church, that they appreciate the programs, they appreciate the music, they appreciate the preaching, and all the other things that the church has to offer. But they, they, they come and they take what they want, just like they're shopping at a store, and then they leave what they don't. And when they need it, they come and get it. And if they don't need it, it's not really that important, and they leave it alone. Then if something happens and they they get frustrated or upset, they get their feelings hurt, they get mad for some reason, then they just leave that church and they go to another church that will give them what they want without the confrontation, without the problem. But here's the deal. Some people don't even go so far as to come and join or gather in a church. Some people just sit down at their computers and they turn on the, uh, they, they, they get on the internet and they go to some web campus and they watch a church from a distance and they, and they receive the preaching but then they never join with the people. And don't, I, I appreciate that we have the technology. I appreciate that we have the ability to, to project and, and, and send uh, signals around the world where the church can be seen from virtually anywhere. But I reject the idea that you can call yourself a member of a church if you never join with her people, if you never see one another in flesh and blood. The Bible has no understanding that has no view or vision or teaching of people who don't ever come together. That is not the church. Well, listen, these aren't the only ways we dismiss the body of Christ or, or his church. There, there are many, many more. But see, increasingly the world seeks to devalue the gospel community. The, the, the world seeks to undermine its value in our life. And, and we have grown up in and, and been saturated in this idea of independence that we just don't need one another. And today, as we look at these verses from Titus 2, I, I, hope, and I, I hope and I pray that we're going to see why we need to quit paying attention to everybody in the world. And we're going to learn to treasure the gift that God has given us in one another. Let's just read the passage, and I've got three three points on the that I think that 
is demonstrated here that I think will help you see why we value the church, God's gospel community. Titus 2, start in verse 11, read through verse 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who, for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, the first thing I want to point out, the first thing I, I hope you'll see in this passage is that, that ultimately and overarchingly, let me, let me, actually, let me just say this. This is not a point. This is not a point that I have written here, but but I, I want you to see something here. I want you to see this, and I want you to understand this, the, 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 the heart of why we value the people of God, why we value the gospel community is because we were bought by a precious and priceless blood. Jesus allowed his blood to be shed to cover our sins. We were bought at that price. You see, our value, the value of the church is built out of what was paid for us, what God saw as valuable. He paid a price that is priceless. It's immeasurable. The priceless and precious blood of Christ was spilled to buy you and me, to buy us. And we value the church because God obviously values the church enough to sacrifice and suffer for us. And that's ultimately under, underneath it all, underneath everything else, under, underneath undergirding everything else, er, everything else I'll say, underneath the three perspectives, the three points that I'm going to bring out of this passage, that is the foundation of it all. We value the church because God showed it to be valuable. He valued the church, and so we're going to value the church. All right, well, let's get back to the passage. And the first thing I want to point out from this passage is that we value gospel community because it is the point of the gospel message. We value gospel community because it is the point of the gospel message. Now, even as I say that, I want you to know, even as I say that, that there's a bit of a catch in my mind. Listen, I am jealous for God's glory. I don't, want, I don't want to make anything else the point of his work. All that he does is ultimately to glorify himself. And, and, and I'm so jealous for it that even as we wrote everything for, this, for the church, as we, as we wrote the vision, as we talked about what we want to be, that we want to be a church that worships God in all we do and leads others to worship God. We are jealous for his glory. And all he's done all he's done to, has, has been to bring him glory. Jesus said he came to glorify the Father. It's clear in the scripture that his own glory is the foundational purpose of the gospel. But as this passage in Titus reveals, it's not wrong. It's, it's not any less right to say that the goal of his gospel is to build a gospel community. Listen, the passage opens with the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented to all people. And we have to be careful. As we read, we could misinterpret verse 11 to say that everyone will be saved. But that's not it at all. And that's not at all what Paul intends. 
See, Paul wants us to see that in Jesus, God's grace was made evident for everyone to see. There's no one that will stand with an excuse. That's from Romans chapter 1, that no one will have an excuse. No one will be able to say that his grace wasn't available, that, that he didn't make a way for them. Everyone has the opportunity for salvation. In Jesus Christ, everyone in the world has the opportunity to be saved. But not everyone will be saved. He wants us to know why his grace appeared. By by revealing his grace, God is making an offer of salvation to anyone who would respond. Now, already it's obvious. God's grace is not just about an individual being saved, is it? I mean, look at the text. He didn't say he didn't say that 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 his 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 grace had appeared so that salvation would be for one person, but for all people. It's too big. It's too too broad a, a scope. If God was just going to save one person, if He was just going to save a very minute number of people, if God was just about about just a very tiny tiny little number. He could have sent personal invitations. This is too grand a scale. It's too broad an offer. If it was about individuals, there would be no no need for a universal offer. So then look at verse 14. Paul says it directly. Jesus did what he did, not only to offer salvation to the masses, but to actually and effectually redeem and purify a people for himself. Not a person, but a people for his own possession. He gave himself for us. And it's over and over. You see the word us. You see the plural the, the, the plural pronouns. There's no individual listed here. There's no one person on his mind. He gave himself to create the gospel community. So now as we repeat the gospel messages, as as we tell the gospel story, as we proclaim the gospel to other people, the point is to gather in the gospel community. Jesus died so that his people might be saved. A gospel message without Jesus' cross is robbed of power. But a gospel message that doesn't result in community has lost its point. Let me say that again. A gospel message without Jesus' cross is robbed of power. A gospel message that doesn't result in community has lost its point. Look, you, you, you would throw me out of here if I came one week and I proclaimed a gospel that said you didn't need Jesus' death on the cross. You would throw me out. And you'd have every right to do so because the scripture makes clear that we need the cross. If I came and I told you Jesus was dead in the grave, you would throw me out. And you would have, you would have reason to because the scripture is clear without the resurrection, the cross will not save us. But together, the gospel message being proclaimed, the, the work of Jesus Christ through the cross and on in his resurrection is now gathering in his People And so just as seriously, just as intentionally, we have the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus' work on the cross and Jesus' work in the resurrection. We need to be talking about the gathering of his people. The point of proclaiming the gospel is to bring in the people of God, to bring them out of the world, to bring them from death to life, to redeem and purify a people. That's the idea. Removing the community 
of believers from the gospel makes it as incomplete as if we were to remove the cross. Verse 14 gives us not only how God accomplishes our redemption and purification, but also what the result is. He makes us his people. Certainly, certainly. We need to get this. You need to understand this. We need to own this. I, I, I want to tell you something. I, here's the reality of the, the, of the issue. God doesn't need the gospel to be glorified. Now, I started off and I told you that, that the point of the gospel message is, is gospel community. And, 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 and I'm jealous for God's glory. I want him to be glorified, but God doesn't need the gospel to be glorified. Did you know that? He would have been just as glorified had he been just and righteous and holy and condemned all mankind to hell. If he had killed Adam and Eve and turned around and scrapped the whole thing, he would have been justified and he would have been glorified in front of all of the, all of the heavenly realms. He would have been glorified because in their rebellion, they deserved death. God didn't need the gospel to be glorified. But God chose in his grace to bring the gospel that he might be glorified in a people. This, this is the point of the gospel message. Listen, gospel community, it's not an accident or an afterthought of the gospel. It is the very reason for and the result of the gospel message. God didn't need it. He chose it. John Stott wrote, considering the place that the church holds in God's redemptive history, he writes, the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community for his purpose, conceived in a past eternity, being worked out in history and to be perfected in a future eternity. Is it? is not just to save isolated individuals so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. God did this on purpose, and he chose to be glorified in this way for a reason, for his own purpose, that he might bring in a people of his own possession, and he did it through the gospel message. Listen, the proclamation gives birth, the proclamation of the gospel gives birth to the church. It grows the church. We don't ever really plant the church. We plant the gospel. We plant the gospel and the church is the result of that. It's the fruit of that work. The church is the growth. It, it, it is the only church growth method that's guaranteed to bring real and lasting results is the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel community is the point of the gospel message and therefore we value the gospel community. We value the church because it's God's intended result of the gospel message. And the second thing I think we see in this text is that we value gospel community because it is central to gospel identity. We are who we are because of the gospel. 
So that's exactly Paul's point here in this passage in Titus. We have this new identity as a result of our individual relationship to Jesus. We are Christian. We are righteous. We are people being purified. But notice that even as I, even as I describe our individual Christian status, I have to speak of it in plural language, just as Paul had to speak of it in plural language. He's writing to Titus. He's writing to another dude. And he's saying it's for us. It's for us. It's not for one person. Over and over, he uses this. In their book, Total Church, Steve Timmons and Tim Chester make this point. And and let me just say this about Total Church. If you haven't read it, let me commend it to you. If you don't read anything else in the whole book, read the first two chapters. It demonstrates the the, the beauty and a, a biblical perspective of the relationship of the gospel and its community. But in their book, in this book, Steve Timmons and Tim Chester write, Christ died for his people. This is in reference to Titus 2, 14. Christ died for his people. And we are saved when by faith we become part of the people for whom Christ died. You see, the Bible has no understanding of a Christian being an individual on the outside of the church. The the Bible has no understanding of a Christian who doesn't belong to the body, who doesn't have a place, who doesn't have a role, who doesn't have a purpose, who doesn't belong. The Bible has no understanding of this. We cannot fully grasp who we are in Christ until who we are together in Christ that is, a, that is a foundationally different perspective than how we have taught salvation. See, in our self-centered, consumeristic, take what I want and leave what I don't culture, we have tried to entice people to Christ with talk of a personal Savior. We have disconnected the church from the gospel and made it an option rather than the necessary result. Now a guy feels okay saying God speaks to me and reveals truth to me, but I don't need his church. Churches feel completely justified in setting up internet campuses where people never really have an opportunity to meet or live in day-to-day relationship with other Christians. That being a believer in Jesus and a member of the church are inseparable. Separating them, that's exactly what we've tried to do by individualizing salvation. We talk about Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and He is yours. He is your personal Savior. He saved you personally, but He is also mine, and He is ours. Because we have personalized salvation, tried to market it to the American consumer, we often miss this piece of good news. We are not in this alone, we are not by ourselves. There's a song that was pretty popular several years ago. You may even still hear it on the radio. I I don't know. It's a song by Michael W. Smith. It goes like this. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Now I want you to know that is a beautiful, beautiful explanation. There's a song that was pretty popular several years ago. 
You may even still hear it on the radio. It's a song by Michael W. Smith. And it goes like this. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful expression of praise and adoration for, for Jesus. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. It's again, an, another, another verse of this beautiful praise and adoration, this, this beautiful expression of, of how we view Jesus to be above all things, to be better, to be preeminent, to be, to be satisfying and valuable to us. It's beautiful. I used to sing this song. Oh, I used to sing this song. I just belted it out. I just loved this song. And I get to this last verse and I just sing it out just as hard as I could. Crucified, laid behind a stone. You live to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. That's a compelling thought. Man, I told you, I'm telling you, I, I used to sing this song out just like it was, I mean, it was my, my, my song, you know. This one who is above all powers, natures, treasures, kingdoms, thrones, and wonders that we've ever known. This one who is above all. This one who is preeminent over all things, who has always been. This one let himself be killed, and while it was going on, he thought of me. And I can remember just how special and and warm and fuzzy I felt inside. That is, until one Sunday, just before we sang this song, the, the music minister that was going to lead us said something that changed me, changed the way I viewed it. What he said was, in, in reference to the song, that as he was about to sing it, he said, you know, I love this song because it helps me realize if I was the only one, if I was the only one that who would have ever believed Jesus would have died for me. And I can't tell you why it hit me that way. I can't tell you why it changed my perspective, but suddenly it made me think this. Yeah? If Jesus is thinking above me, about me above all, what does that mean for the person on my left and the person on my right? What does it mean about you? If he's thinking of me, what does it mean about you? I just couldn't sing that chorus with the same enthusiasm any longer. Because I don't think Jesus was thinking about me in particular. For the joy that was set before him. He suffered. Now I know it might seem a little hypercritical. And I assure you I don't mean to be. I'm sure Paul Beloche, Lenny LeBlanc, and Michael W. Smith had the best of intentions as they wrote and led people to sing the lyrics that put that individual at the forefront of Jesus' mind during his death. I'm, I'm certain, I believe with, that they had the best of intentions. But by placing me over us in the scope of Jesus' sacrifice, even if it's unintentional, we, <clears throat> we can't do it. So it, it leads us to build compartmentalized view of our Christianity in which we recognize our individual Christian identity as something separate from our corporate identity. We will not know who we are until who we are together in Christ. And when we, when we do that, when we distance ourselves from the very people God intends us to, to, to be together with, to bless us, the, the ones he intends us to bless and the ones he intends to be blessed by us, we miss 
miss out on his goodness and the gift of the gospel community. The benefits of our gospel identity will only ever be fully enjoyed in gospel community. The the, the benefits of our gospel identity will only ever be fully enjoyed in gospel community. We can be the guy. We can be the guy who takes his church life and just puts it as another, another plate to be spun, another ball to be juggled, another thing to be kept up with. And fighting all along to keep just light right alongside his work and his family and his personal agenda and the, and the things that he wants to do, his, his, his uh, entertainment and his leisure time and just throwing those balls, just juggling those balls as if, as if church just belongs right alongside every other thing that's external. Or we could be like the people that God intended us to be, a people who are central to one another's lives whose lives are rooted together so completely and so dependently that it's drawn into the middle of our circle. And together we're working out all the, all the balls that have to be juggled, all the, all the events of life, all the important decisions that have to be made. We become central to that identity. And we can be an individual fighting to get by or we can be a people who lovingly stand together considering one another and celebrating together how God is equipping us to serve and support one another as he makes us more like himself. See, on your own, you can enjoy God's work within you as you see him helping you overcome sin and worldly passion, as Paul points out in this passage. You can, you can celebrate as he strengthens you to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives Individually, you can look forward with great hope for Jesus to come and get you. You can do all of those things on your own. But celebrating together is always better. A party by yourself isn't any fun. God saved you and placed you among his people to celebrate with them all that he's doing in you and through you together. See, we'll never fully know that and experience the benefits of the gospel until we learn to live as a people for his possession. That's going to take effort. And at times it's going to be difficult. But as we learn who we are in Christ, we will be so much better for it. And the final point I want you to see in this passage, from this passage, we value gospel community because it is central to gospel mission. In this passage, Paul calls us a people for Jesus' own possession who are zealous for good works. See, not only are we a people that together have a new identity in Jesus, we are not just simply the point of the gospel message. We are a people with a new purpose because of Jesus. This mission, this mission that when we're on, when we're trying to do it by ourselves, it's overwhelming. There's no way. I mean, just imagine if you had to comply with God's mission the, the, the commands he gave in Scripture by yourself. Imagine. That's not a, a, at all what he intended. He gave this mission to the church. First, he gave us commands for, to do for one another, to, to love one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another, to confess sins to one another, to bear with one another and tolerate one another, to devote ourselves to one another. 59 times, 59 different one another commands, 59 individual one another commands he gives us in the New Testament to do for one another. This is not us in the world. This is us. This is within the church. 59 times he gives us indication and command to do something. 
to value one another so much that we are about glorifying Him through our efforts for one another, our good works on behalf of one another. But He also told us then in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to make disciples, to baptize them and teach obedience. So, so not only are we to be doing these things for one another, we'd be going, we're to be going out into the world and we're to be making disciples, teaching them the 59 one another commands. 59 times living and doing and, and being the way Jesus was for us. It is our work given to us together to accomplish for His glory and by His grace for our good. We value gospel community because it's central to gospel mission. You were never meant to do it by yourself. We value gospel community because it's central to gospel identity. We value gospel community because it is the point of the gospel message. Let's pray.